everyone, and welcome once again to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. I begin today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land from which we broadcast today, the Ngunnawal people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the ongoing contribution they make to the life of our city and this region. Today on Work With Purpose, we discuss the increasingly relevant topic of the challenges and opportunities of remote work, but we do so with a difference. Today, we explore the topic of remote work, but we do so through the lens of two leaders in the Australian Public Service who are leading teams remotely. Ali Jenkins is the first Assistant Secretary of the APS Reform Office at the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. Since joining the APS back in 2004, Ali has undertaken a number of service delivery, policy, advisory and transformation roles in several portfolios, including the Treasury, PM&C and the Department of Agriculture, Water and the Environment. Indeed, throughout 2021, Ali led the Hierarchy and Classification Review Task Force at the Australian Public Service Commission. Ali has been working remotely from Hobart since July of 2020, and she has two small children. Ali, welcome to Work With Purpose. Hi, David. Duncan Young is the General Manager or First Assistant Secretary for Census and Data Acquisition at the Australian Bureau of Statistics. Duncan commenced his APS career in Hobart as a graduate and, interestingly, has worked as part of distributed and virtual teams from day one of his public service career. Duncan spent two years in Wellington, New Zealand and about 10 years in Canberra before he returned to Hobart in 2018. A personal career highlight for Duncan was the role of National Program Manager for the Australian Marriage Law Postal Survey in 2017. Duncan currently leads a team of nearly two thousand people who are spread across every state and territory with only a couple of them sharing his office with him at the ABS there in Hobart. Duncan, a big welcome to you also coming to us from Tasmania today. Thanks, David, and hello, everyone. So listen, Duncan, we might start with you because you have been in this remote working game, as you say, since the beginning of your career. How do you make remote work work? It's a, it's a big question, David. Thank you. Um, yeah, Ali and I were chatting earlier, but it's sort of in some ways I'm a, a virtual work native and, and she's a virtual work immigrant, <laughs> having come, come in a bit later on. And um, so, so for me, yeah, some of it has been just life I've, I've, as I know it all, all the way along. But that said, it doesn't sort of stay with a, a status quo. It's kept changing and COVID-19 brought along a whole lot of different changes. And so for me, though, the basis of it is, like any relationships, it's, a, it's about people. And so whether it's virtual relationships or in-person relationships, um, focus on the people first. And do you find that in that role of leading, that in terms of the people... 
how, and, and I know you are a native of this remote work game, but how have you built relationships knowing that your teams have been distributed far and wide across the APS? Yeah, probably a bit of a story I could tell. So, um, when, when I came in, first got an executive job. So I moved into an EL1 position, as many of your listeners will know from as assistant director, and I had about eight staff, uh, and most of which were outside my local office. And I thought, how do I make sure I don't forget to, to touch base with people? I'm not seeing them at a water cooler, not seeing them in a kitchen. And so as a good statistician, I decided to make a spreadsheet. And um, <laughs> lots of, if I, um, it's a surprise I'm still married because I, I tried to use a spreadsheet to name my, our first child. And so, my, so the spreadsheets are the answer to most of my life's problems. But I made a spreadsheet which allowed me to see my eight staff members and press a button every time I talked to them and tell me which staff members I hadn't talked to for, for a period of time. And it was really interesting over a few weeks but there was some consistent patterns. Some staff members I was talking to a lot and some I wasn't. And so what that taught me about it was actually I needed to put in place different systems because of the personality of each of my staff members and also my own relationships with them. them. So for some of my staff members, I'd have a regular meeting booked in. For other staff members, we just sort of met more organically as we went along. And do you maintain that spreadsheet to this day? Well, I'm sure I still could cope with the 2,000 lines in it, but <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not using it with my, my current team. But, but I have taken forward for me that concept of actually, yet yeah, I need to think about what system works for the individuals that I interact with, not assume that one size fits all in a virtual environment. Now, a final question just before we come to Ali. What have you found that are the enemies of effectiveness in terms of that leading remote teams? Um, well, well for, for me, having fun at work is really, really important. And, um, and I think it's part a really human kind of thing to have a good laugh with people. And I think the virtual environment, if you're not careful, can become a little bit transactional and, and meetings are a bit formal and they only happen when you need to get something done. And so, so for, for me, it's really focusing on actually how do you make sure that you value having a bit of fun, having a bit of a laugh as part of the important part of your work day? And how do you make sure that you're still having that with the people you're working with? And so sometimes we do that just with often with check-ins at the start of a meeting. Like I use the first a little part of a meeting as a bit of a, a, um, a, a routine around actually we'll have a little bit of a chit-chat and have a bit of a laugh before we get into the formal stuff. Okay, fair enough. So, Ali, take us back to the time that you decided that Canberra was no longer for you. The bright lights of Hobart were calling you back, obviously, young family and all the rest of it. When did it sort of dawn on you that there was going to be the opportunity for you to continue your career and your leadership in the APS from Hobart? So um, I'm not actually a, a native Tasmanian. I'm a native Canberran. So I, I grew up in Canberra. I went to the ANU. Um, I didn't come from a public service family. I came from a family of, of tradies um, and I had no idea what the public service was like and really until I joined it back in 2004. 
Um, but I'd had such a fulfilling career. I'd had so many interesting roles. I had worked with so many great people, so many great opportunities to make a contribution. Um, the reason I moved to Hobart uh, was bec- was for my family. My, my husband's uh, an academic. Um, he found a great role here at UTAS and I really wanted to support that. So we made a family decision to move to Tasmania, despite having never lived here before. Um, um, I'd worked for most of my career um, at PM&C. So I'd had a really solid chunk of time from about 2008, working in a range of domestic policy roles. And it also had a great stint working as exec officer to two PM&C secretaries. So I had a really great foundation. I really didn't want to let it go. Um, and despite a huge amount of support from PM&C um, and encouragement and um, to, to sort of capture my imagination about how I could work remotely, um, it wasn't until COVID hit in um, the early months of 2020 that remote working to PMNC really seemed like a possibility to me. So it was like I I had a barrier to get over there because I'd spent so much of my career uh, working in an environment where I felt that face-to-face relationships were everything. But it wasn't until I could see everyone around me transitioning to a remote working environment uh, that I could see the possibilities for me. And so uh, in July 2020, um, PM&C said, come on, Ali, <laughs> get on the bandwagon. You can actually do this. You can do an SES job um, from Hobart. Um, let's give it a crack. Um, and, and I said yes. Um, and it was, it was one of the best decisions that I've ever made. Um, and I've now been working uh 18 months, almost two years, in a, in a range of different senior executive roles, including a period doing, doing a review within a new agency, the APSC. Um, and for me, it's just given me so many opportunities uh, to try new things um, and experience a completely different way of being a public servant. So tell me then, those concerns that you had, those worries that you had, those preconceived notions of what was going to hold you back, what has been reality and what has not been reality in terms of those preconceived notions you had of running a senior executive position out of Hobart? So I couldn't, I couldn't just, I just couldn't see how I could be present in the way that I wanted to be present. Um, And 18 months to two years ago, uh, the technology wasn't there. You might be able to get dialed into a meeting on someone's mobile phone, but we don't have anything approaching the level of VC, VC technology that we have now. We have um, mixed meetings as a matter of course, um, and the infrastructure to support um, leading teams remotely is is so much stronger. But there was a big perception change for me as well, and uh, that probably comes down to letting go. I had a great um, piece of advice from a colleague, uh, a PMC colleague, who had been working for PMC in a senior executive role from overseas. And she said, you won't be able to go to all the meetings and that's okay. You can 
send a team member. What a great opportunity to empower a staff member um, and be present in the meetings that you are not able to attend. And it's true, I can't attend all the meetings. Now I can attend most of the meetings. Um, but when I can't attend, um, and increasingly, it's a great opportunity for uh, more junior members of staff to get exposure to great conversations. What do you miss about it, not being able to lead your team in the flesh? Uh, I think the thing that I really miss um, is that uh, for the parts of the APS where I spend a lot of time, there's a really strong, almost apprenticeship model. You get so much out of observing people in the workplace. Um, that works for me, observing my team members and understanding how best to work with them. But it also um, it makes a difference for team members to be able to observe their senior leaders at work um, as well as their colleagues. So that's probably what I miss the most. Um, and I, I do get to Canberra once a month generally, but we had really long periods where um, Tasmanians have not been able to travel to the mainland. So I've had stints and Duncan would have had the same of sort of five or six months or even longer where we haven't been able to be present with our teams. Um, and that means that we're challenged to do things in a, in a different way socially. So, Duncan, as someone who is experienced in this sort of remote work distributed environment where you are now leading, as you mentioned previously, and I mentioned in the introduction, 2,000 people, we have had COVID, we have had the great acceleration. What, in your view, needs to happen to start to make this uh, more business as usual, that leadership can be distributed across Australia? Uh, for the benefit not only of the APS um, and the people who work in the APS now, but perhaps to offer people um, the opportunity to attract them into the APS when they may not want to move their lives and their families and everything else to Canberra? Great question, David. And I think we're well on the way eh? and we should sort of celebrate aid always eh? when we're making progress and so certainly it seems to be gone of the days that you had to have to beg people to add a way of dialing into a meeting or I can't remember now, there used to be used to be a common occurrence that I'd dial into a meeting and you'd end up on a call with your lovely colleagues from Sydney, Brisbane and Melbourne and no one in Canberra has decided to join the meeting and connect you actually into the room where the meeting's taking place. And so you talk a lot about Canberra, but not as much with Canberra. And so, so we seem to be getting over those things and progressing a lot further. Um, I guess a couple of things that I'd suggest in our next steps. Um, one, one is for from an individual point of view. One of my learnings along the way has been um, don't be afraid to, to ask and have a conversation with your workplace if you do want to consider a virtual kind of arrangement or a different kind of arrangement. So, so unlike Ali, my moves to Hobart have been to, to come back home and to come back being close close to my family, being able to spend some years with my grandparents and before they passed, helping my parents out and giving my children a connection with their family. And I, I've certainly had some trepidation at the time of, of raising it, but is this putting my career on hold? Is this telling the ABS that I'm not as committed to, to doing all the right corporate things because I'm leaving Canberra? But um, to the ABS's credit, at, when I've talked to the ABS about it, they, they were very supportive and, and it hasn't been a, a barrier and I'm yeah, still able to contribute. So that's the first thing I reckon is 
just encouraging people not to be afraid to sort of find new things, challenge for boundaries, and it was great to hear the encouragement that Ali was given to, to consider those things moving outside. The other is um, really, to, I think we can still do more learning from each other in the APS. So the, one of my, my favourite quotes is always that the future's here, it's just unevenly distributed. And so lots of people are working in virtual ways. Lots of our, our for us, us in the executive, often our, some of our learnings in the virtual space has been to reach down, down into our teams and our staff who have been working virtually without the access to as much travel or, or, or different mechanisms for a long period of time. And so they've got great aid mechanisms for having team celebrations when they achieve things, having ways of connecting together and supporting someone who's going through a hard time outside work. And so, so to reach inside your organisation to learn from others and then reach across to other organisations which are, might have a bit of experience in a space that you want to learn about. So have you had moments where you've felt that you've been missing out because you're not at head office, you're not physically present? able to have those corridor conversations, able to influence people? Or have you been able to overcome those? Oh, to, have I had those moments? Oh, absolutely. Um, and one, one of the most um, yet yeah, uh, horrific things to be invited to from outside Canberra is a virtual drinks <laughs> or a virtual celebration of people in Canberra where, yes, you're basically a poster on the wall watching people enjoy themselves, themselves having drinks and, and there's no way uh, to really engage uh, in a, sort of a, just a general kind of group session. So, yeah, it certainly had those, those moments and along the way. But I think they've been balanced off against you get other moments and you get other opportunities. Like for, uh, when someone does come outside of Canberra to visit, well, you get a chance to, to spend a concentrated period of time when, when they travel and, and visit an office. And certainly for us, our, our Hobart office benefits from that. You do find new ways of connecting. You've got, I, I've found that um, people have reached out to me from outside Canberra, so it gives you a sort of a, a natural connection with, with some other people trying to navigate a, the, the system that we're in or... Um, it, it even gives a point of interest and a point of start of a conversation. And that's always a good thing to have, have both within your teams but working outside your teams as well. And, Ali, judging by your earlier answers, I imagine there were quite some, uh, uh, quite a number of moments early on that you might have felt that you, you weren't present, you weren't available and that you may in fact have been missing out. Yeah, uh, but the flip side of that is because um, – when I'm in the office, it's hard to find me. I'm always zipping around. I'm in meeting rooms. I'm meeting. I'm all over the place. Whereas when I'm working remotely, um, everyone knows exactly where I am, and that's at my computer. So there's actually a higher degree of accessibility I've learned because um, uh, people can connect with me um, in, a, in a different way. It means I can be present in a different way. Um so there's different there's different things you can do just to make sure uh, that that you're present and that you're accessible. Um, but there were certainly times, um, and I think uh, we've had some great advances in in technology even over the last year or two. Um, but it felt like uh, every meeting would be a you know people used to call it a VC tax. You know you'd be seven 
minutes or 10 minutes of trying to get all the tech uh, happening so you could participate, we've come a long way from there. We, you know, we, um, I very rarely feel um, like I'm the one who's sort of sticking out as somebody who, who's not there in the room. Now, this is a question to both of you and perhaps Duncan to you first, given that you are the statistician. Are you evaluating uh, your leadership from afar in any way? I know you, you're keeping track there with your system or perhaps not as much as you used to, given that you now have 2,000 people in your team. But is there any way that you can evaluate the good and the bad and understand it and make adjustments? And Ali had asked the same question of you once Duncan's finished. Yeah. Uh, this is probably a space where um, all of the traditional practices of, of leadership and, and seeking seeking feedback, seeking skip level feedback, looking at things like the, the employee surveys, employee censuses and the like, like you, you look to all of those inf- sources of information and try and use them to understand, are they painting a picture that's different because of my location or is my location's contributing something here or is it, it simply that, yeah, there's an area I need to work a little bit more on or, or something that I'm doing particularly well. And so I think it's always something in the, the back of your mind. It's something to consider. It's, um, it is an interesting thing, though. though what I've found is that for some people it's um, they wouldn't even think twice about the fact that they've got a remote team member or a remote boss or a remote staff member, um, whereas others, it's one of the first things they think of. And so, again, it's trying to navigate through where where is someone coming from and what experiences have they had. So in the same way as if um, you took someone from outside the ABS and threw them into our environment, you'd be really confident conscious that they have to learn some of the statistical language and terminology, they need to get used to some of the systems and our lovely spreadsheets. The same way as if you you take someone and put them into a virtual environment, you need to say, right, well, how do we swim here? Like, Let's work through and and understand that this might not be native to you and and work out what are the things you want to know about. And, And even just for little things like, well, I'm contactable by multiple channels. Like my staff will be reaching out through through messages, through instant messenger, through WhatsApp, through Signal, through email, booking a time. Any of those things are okay for me and they work for, for me. For, for some of my team, they might have different things which work best for them. And so it's sort of making sure you spend some of that time working through because maybe the default behaviour of walking to an office and seeing if the door is open or not but that's not just the only method here. There's different ways to think about it. Mm-hmm. And one of the worst things I've seen is probably when I sort of started working remotely was people kept saving things up till the next time I travelled. Oh, yeah, we'll talk about that next time you visit. It's like, don't leave me hanging here. Like, let's talk about it now. Like, like, let's, let's, let's get into this because I don't think that's productive for us to defer things, things to later and actually I'm sure we can think of much better things to do when we catch up in person. Yeah. And for you, Ali, that evaluation piece, how are you judging your, your effectiveness? I could not agree more with what Duncan is saying about relying on some of the more traditional methods. The best way to understand uh, your impact on your team and the others around you is that actually ask them. Um, and that's the best way to learn and change. I think um, uh, we, and I think Duncan's probably the same, he's been doing this for a lot longer than I have, 
but you don't want to be in the situation of just scraping by as as uh, leaders who are leading teams remotely. We want to figure out how to do it really well. And we want our teams to have those skills as well because they're going to have long and diverse careers. They might be, uh, well, I'd hope they'll be leading teams um, in person and remotely throughout their careers as well. So um, now's a really great opportunity to identify the skills to, to do that really, really effectively. And a final question to both of you. And listeners often tell us that they love to hear the personal stories. And so I'd be interested just... Uh, you know, what have you discovered about yourself since you've been leading remotely? What's a what's a personal sort of reflection on something that you've learned about yourself that perhaps wasn't exposed when you were doing things previously? Maybe a little bit different for you, Duncan, but given that you did only move down to Tasmania not that long ago to re- to lead such a large team. But Ali, with you first, what have you learned about yourself? Um, I think the the thing has been to, and I guess this is the sort of thing that I probably should have been doing throughout my career, but really meet people where they're at. Um, You get an opportunity when you're engaging with people on a screen um, all the time to have really dedicated and focused time. So um, you can often you can often be freed from distractions with your team members and, and that means that you can really, really connect with them. Um, the other thing I've really learned is, and this sounds a little bit cringy, uh, but it, how, do you, how do you build a connection and how do you build um, intimacy with people, um, which is not trying to... Um, be a superficial way of building connection, um, but what is a what's a really real way? And what I find is that I do I probably I probably overshare with my team members. Um, I probably overshare with people um, uh, because it's a um, you know it's a good way to to build a connection to share something of yourself, um, and um, hopefully people will give you something in return. So my team members all know way too much about my children. Um, they know way too much about uh, the birthday parties I attend on the weekend. Um, they know just a lot about um, my life and I hope that's not too much information for my team. Um, but just finding different ways to, to share and connect with people um, uh, is, is just really, really important. That's just one thing that I've really, yeah, that I've, I've tried to engage with. Excellent. And you, Duncan, you, you said you, you like to start meetings with a few gags, a few dad jokes, I hope. <laughs> yeah, well, certainly one of the things, we've talked a lot about relationships in this because yeah, it's such an important part of our work. And one of the things you do notice in as a virtual meeting attendee is often you're the first one to the meeting because everyone else has to get up from a last meeting, run out the door, down a set of stairs, it's get away from another conversation and get into the meeting. And so often you do have these few minutes at the start where you can sort of catch up with the people who have got their air on time. Um, but probably the, the area I was going to focus on is you actually, you do learn a little bit about yourself and about how to be productive. And, and for me, what are some of the barriers to my productivity when you sort of work, work remotely and virtually. And so I've learned a little bit about my um the, the disconnect between my uh, a mental impression of how much I can multitask and the actual ability to, to multitask. And um, probably the, the most 
amusing moment was during a a rather long meeting where I was doing a lot of sitting on mute and a lot of listening and a, a little bit of playing on my laptop. And I found a set of features which allowed me to, to um, change for camera settings on my laptop. And then I suddenly noticed that everyone in my room was looking at me and I looked down at the corner and I realised I'd turned myself into a shark avatar. <laughs> and so suddenly there was a lovely blue shark in this ABS corporate meeting. And so the shark started trying to hit his keyboard with his flippers as he was trying to turn off his shark avatar. And that was quite a good um, sage lesson in the... Yeah, uh, I do find still it is so easy in this environment we work in now, and we all work in it, no matter whether you're in Canberra or outside, is to feel, actually, I can do something else here. I'm still focusing. Actually, no, you're not. Like, you do need to bring that same kind of discipline. I wouldn't um, yet pick up my phone and send a bunch of text messages whilst we're sitting there talking at a table physically. I shouldn't do that with you when I'm sitting there virtually. And so, so that's one of the things I've learned is my own limitations. I can't, can't do multiple things at once and, and give them all 100% of attention. And one thing that Finn and I have discussed, which is um, the fact that we both live in Tasmania um, and... Um, we we get can also have a bit of escape an escape from the APS. Um, uh, I know as somebody who has spent so much time in Canberra and you know grew up there um, uh, that um, a lot of my weekends or the children's birthday parties I might be attending in Canberra, I'd be doing a lot of APS chat. Not the case here. <laughs> I feel like I have so many sorts of uh, different connections. Um, which I think would help to bring a different dimension to my work as well. Um, yeah, I was telling Ali about this um, when I just moved back down. Um, I went along to my son's school camp and, and one of the other parents said to me, he said, oh, I hear you're a public servant. I said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I am. I'm, I work in a public service. Um, it was, I just always really wanted to ask someone, like, I've heard of public servants. I just don't know what they do. Like, what's, what is a public service? And I thought, imagine that question in Canberra. Like, <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, certainly it's, well, yeah, it's a, it's a different kind of experience down here and, yeah, part of what I love about it. Do you, do you see it taking hold in a big way and seeing large numbers of people leaving Canberra or is there a... I don't know, a, a sort of ballast that needs to stay in Canberra and it's really only ever going to be something that um, works, you know, for a few, not for the many. So the, the ABS has um, more than half of its staff outside Canberra and um, and so to, and so for me, I, I don't think about it as Canberra and everywhere else. It's just a, a way of working no matter where you are. But... Certainly, I think the public service really will want to and, and need to continue to capitalise on getting the best people where the best people want to work. And um, and for, yet yeah, increasingly, like, I think people say, actually, why, why not? Why can't I work somewhere different? So I think it will increase. Hmm. Yeah, there's a, just a huge factor of understanding where the talent is, making sure... Um, that we can access great talent in the APS. Um, so I think there's, well, we're a lot more open-minded about it than we used to be. The other thing is um, 
you know, apart from attracting great talent, it also allows it, um, the APS to retain um, retain talent. Um, there would have been lots of people over the years who um, had to make a choice to, to forego their APS career because they were moving away from Canberra for um, a range of reasons. Um, and now I think we don't have to make as many of those choices, uh, which is, you know, particularly for someone like me who's been able to maintain a really happy and fulfilling career in the APS while moving into state, um, there's, there's lots of different benefits um, that, that we can gain. Mm. Any barriers? Is there any, is, so, sorry, sorry, Duncan, I, I interrupted you. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, for Canberrans listening, like, like um, I do miss Canberra. I lived there for <laughs> 10 years and it is a beautiful place and, uh, and yeah, they certainly don't want to come across as being all things are good outside the beautiful city of Canberra. But um, I think, yeah, that it is about the maximum choice you can give people around the way they work and where they work, the more likely you are to, to maintain and build engagement and keep people working on our good work. Yeah. Well, I think the, the, your two particular examples are very good ones. You know, Duncan, yours, well, both, both uh, family-based, but both, you know, quite reasonable and relevant and appropriate that you would then have that conversation. So I can imagine that a lot of people listening are thinking, well, if that does happen to me, I feel that I could have the conversation. And it's encouraging to know that um, for you, Ali, you were encouraged and, Duncan, you were encouraged as well when you got that opportunity because I sometimes feel that, again, this is on the edge of... um, you know, experimentation, and it's good to see that it's happening in the APS. I sometimes think about um, all of the amazing women who had to gather up the courage to ask their employers for part-time working arrangements um, and how difficult that must have been, um, but how it's completely the norm um, in the the APS uh, for good reason. Um, and I think uh, a lot of the conversations that um, uh, public servants are able to have with their managers today about flexibility, remote working, making some different choices are, are really built um, on the foundations of a lot of public servants who have gone before us and had difficult conversations. Yeah. Very good. Well, listen, thank you so much for uh, for joining us remotely uh, <laughs> If you were in Canberra, we could be sitting in the same studio, but we're not. But um, thanks for uh, sharing your stories with the audience today because I think it is such an important topic and it's not something that's going to go away. It's going to be a part of the future. And I'm really intrigued by that idea of perhaps starting to build a community of practice where you can learn from each other, you can learn best practice, and it can become a muscle that gets exercised and it can grow stronger and the APS continue to um, evolve and strengthen and be able to deliver benefit to the citizens uh, of Australia through these distributed teams. So thank you so much for your time today, a fascinating conversation. So thank you very much, Ali, and thank you, Duncan. Thanks, David. Pleasure. Ladies and gentlemen, Work With Purpose is a part of the GovCom's podcast network and we would be both delighted and grateful if you could find the time to give us a nice rating or a review because what it does is it helps the program to be found. Thanks again to the amazing team at IPA and to the Australian Public Service Commission for their ongoing support for this particular program and 
for the team at Content Group for making it happen with the technology and the production and the promotion and everything else. My name is David Pembroke. A big thanks again to both Ali and Duncan for coming along today. That's it for now. We'll be back at the same time in two weeks. But for the moment, it's bye for now. Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission.